Are the betting markets undervaluing Utah football again? We'll discuss today with Carter Baines of BeaverBlitz.com. Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with all things in the Conference of Champions. I'm joined today once again by Carter Baines, a senior editor and writer at BeaverBlitz.com. We will get to some beeves talk, but we're going all around the conference today. Carter, welcome back to the show, my man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, fired up to talk Pac-12 as a whole. I know last time uh, we were just talking Oregon State spring football, so um, there's there's a lot of very interesting uh, yes. storylines coming out in, in the Pac-12 right now as as these betting odds are are released. So uh, it'll be good conversation. Very much so. All the odds that we're discussing here, of course, provided here at the Locked On Network by Bet Online, which is where the game starts. But let, let's start right off the top with what I thought w- was the biggest surprise when looking at these Pac-12 championship favorite odds for, for football in 2022. And that's Utah is down there at third. And Kyle Whittingham is in season 18. He is as consistent of a coach as there is in the country and certainly one of the longest tenured, maybe the longest tenured coach. I don't have that stat in front of me, but 18 years is what he's going on here in 2022. I'm going to take a stab and say that he's up there. He's got Cam Rising coming back, first-team All-Pac-12 performer, Tavion Thomas. You know they're going to be good on defense every year, even though they, they've had some key losses. And yet, according to the odds makers right now, they are behind both Oregon and USC to win the Pac-12 championship in 2022. Are we undervaluing the Utes again? It seems like that's a continual trend with Utah just generally. So they're just going to be underrated time and time again. They're like Batman Begins in the Christopher Nolan trilogy. They're always there, really good. Every time you watch them, you realize, oh, yeah, they are really good. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. But it's the other two that, that always end up getting all the attention. Like, wh- why is Utah undervalued here? That's uh, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, they lose Devin Lloyd, Britton Covey, um, two of kind of the staples in this conference on their respective sides of the ball the last few years. But, like, I mean, there's nothing about this Utah team that comes back that tells me, oh, yeah, this team's going to take a step backwards. You know, like Kyle Whittingham, as you mentioned, being the most tenured, the longest tenured coach in the Pac-12, like this is a guy who knows how to maintain program stability, how to, you know, how to mesh newcomers with those who are coming back, uh, how to bounce back from from down years and how to maintain success. Like he is, um, he is, in my opinion, the best coach in, in the Pac-12 and I think he has one of the better rosters in the Pac-12 as well this year. So um, I, I, I agree with your your sentiment there that Utah is undervalued. I just don't know that um, – I just don't see any reason to to move them below anybody else when, you know, they just won the conference last year pretty much in dominant fashion. I mean, their one loss in conference play was to Oregon State. They beat Oregon twice, manhandled them actually twice at the end of the season – um, and, and played pretty well in the Rose Bowl against Ohio State and one of the best Rose Bowls of all time. I just don't know how you look at that team and say, yeah, they're going to be um, noticeably worse this year than, than last year. I, I just don't think 
any of the other teams uh, that are that are ahead of them on, on this list we're looking at, Oregon and USC being those two. I just don't see how those two squads have done anything um, to elevate themselves above this Utah team. I think the reason that, at least I would imagine, that they're where they are in terms of the odds is that you lose guys like Britton Covey and, and Devin Lloyd. It's certainly it's going to have an impact, but I expect them to be able. It's not like they haven't been recruiting at the same level over the last several years, right? I mean, they have other talented players on that roster. They don't have another Devin Lloyd or another Nephi Sewell per se, but I think Covey is a guy who made his mark arguably more on special teams than he did in the passing game. I mean, he, he is a you know nice, reliable third down slot receiver who you can look to that, that is going to work on those short to intermediate routes, a Julian Edelman type player. But I don't think that Cam Rising was dependent on it. You know, I never watched Cam Rising play the quarterback position and feel like, boy, if Britton Covey weren't on the field, he just wouldn't be able to make good throws. Or if he didn't have so-and-so, then it, it just wouldn't work. He's got his first team all Pac-12 running back returning in Tavion Thomas next to him. Rising runs the ball well. He's a willing runner. And I, I just look at Utah as such a consistent team over the last almost two decades with Kyle Whittingham. I, I'm not worried about any losses they've suffered suffered in the trenches either because I just I've watched them year in and year out. They have a good defense every year. They, they reload on the offensive line, on the defensive line, and at physical positions like linebacker. They add Diabate, the Florida transfer, who figures to slide in and be a starter. I mean, like there are losses there, but it's not as if, you know, Oregon's favorite ahead of him, which I think is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, after they stomped them twice last year. And Oregon lost a bunch of players, too, and has a first-time head coach and a brand-new staff. I just don't see how you can make that jump. Like, yes, Utah's had some losses, but it's not like they're the only school in the conference that, that has lost players and has to reload. And think about it this way, too. Look at some of the schools that are that are near them or, or above them um, on, on the odds list. You've got Oregon, USC ahead of them, Arizona State, and UCLA directly below them. Of those four or I, yeah, of, of those four, how many times have we said, man, that team really didn't live up to expectations this year. Have we ever said that about Utah? When was no. the last time that we said, oh yeah, Utah really underperformed what I thought we were going to see from them this year. No, it's always the opposite. You know, they're always finishing in the, in the top third of the conference. When, when people say, nah, this Utah team, it's going to be a down year, you know, Kyle Whittingham um, might, might be, you know, might be losing his touch. Like all of, all of these things that we hear, uh, about Utah, you know, the, the talent gap, you know, they just can't overcome it against uh, a school like USC. No, like <laughs> these storylines every year just get flipped on their head. You know, like we have never seen Utah underperform in this conference and they've been here for a decade now. Um, they're the ones who are always creating chaos. They're, they're always the reason that USC uh, is finishing lower in the South than, than people thought. They're, they're the reason that Oregon isn't winning the, the Pac-12 title every year. Um, I, I just think it's it's kind of silly that you know we're we're still doing this ten years later and saying, nope, this is the year USC is gonna gonna take care of business. Like, no, I I just don't see it. But like, they have to prove it. Uh, to your point about Oregon, I, I I don't know that that Dan Lanning coming in and, and you know Bo Nix coming in and taking over at quarterback is enough to convince me that uh, the Ducks are gonna you know, jump a Utah team that obliterated them twice in the span of a month last yeah. year. It just, I, there's just not enough there to me to, to make any of this make sense. 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there, and I, I understand from a certain perspective because you have to factor in that odds books are trying to make money, right? So if you put a big brand like USC up at the top and you give them some really low odds, you're probably going to get a ton of bets on it, even though it's it's not super likely to hit here in year one. So that that's a consideration, but it's worth discussing because it's still a, a starting point for how people who are studying the game and are paid to get this sort of stuff, at least generally speaking, right, are viewing these teams and whether or not we see it as an accurate reflection, which, of course, at this point, we don't. I think some of them are, or most of them, frankly, are about right. I think you have Oregon that high because they are going to be the clear favorites in in the Pac-12 North, something we'll get to a little later here on the show. But uh, we'll get Carter's thoughts here on on USC being a a two-to-one favorite, whether or not they could actually come out of the South and win the Pac-12. But first, we'll remind you that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Imagine dipping your finger into that plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and then opening your eyes and realizing it was only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein. That's what it's like to eat a birthday cake puff from built i have had them they're absolutely amazing they don't disappoint much like utah football frankly never underperforming never disappointing they are absolutely amazing you can go to built.com use promo code lock 15 get 15 percent off your order that's promo code lock 15 for 15 percent off your order of puffs or regular amazing built bars at built.com USC a two to one favorite, and you know them being on top is, is one thing. Them being two to one, I, I think that's asking a lot of Lincoln Riley. And I, I understand that you know the market valuation is playing into that, and how much fans are gonna bet, gonna bet. I, I I understand that. I still think this is way too high because USC has a lot of talent that they have brought in, a lot of talent, the best transfer portal class in the country, I believe, best or second best. It's mostly been at a seven-on-seven position on the offensive side of the ball, right? It's quarterbacks and wide receivers and running backs as well, which matters. There's no doubt about that. It's going to help Lincoln Riley score points, but you do have to have good offensive line play, and you have to be able to stop teams like UCLA, who put up 62 in the Coliseum a season ago. I mean, USC scored plenty of points. They had 33, but if you allow 62, it doesn't really matter very much. So what do you make of USC being the the top favorite there and how likely you think it is that they could potentially come out of the South in Lincoln Riley's first year? Well, you mentioned the the struggles in the trenches. I mean, look at what happened against Oregon State last year. You know, the Beavers go down to the Coliseum having not won there in about 60 years um, and just they just completely manhandle them at, at the point of attack. Um, it's an offensive line at, at USC that really hasn't even been remotely good in, in the last few years. You know, I mean, it's it's been one of the worst groups um, of its kind in the Pac-12. And as we know, in, in college football in particular, it all starts on the line of scrimmage. You know, it doesn't matter how great of a running back you have or, um, you know, how good your linebackers are. If, if your lines struggle, um, you're going to be in for a long season. We've seen that at Oregon State. You know, I, I see it firsthand. Uh, covering Oregon State, you know, the defensive line there is uh, it's held this team back. Um, I, I just don't think that that Lincoln Riley has approached that position in particular enough um, via the transfer portal, as you were saying, uh, to make to make tangible differences in year one. Obviously, bringing in Caleb Williams and, you know, all sorts of other impact transfers is yep. they're, they're going to be better this year than they were at, at any point under Clay Helton. I'm pretty confident in that. But um, to to see them 
where they are um, as far as you know the, the betting lines go. I, I just don't. I, I think it's I think it's the Lincoln Riley factor. You know, USC's been in the headlines. Lincoln Riley, widely regarded as one of the best coaches in college football right now, um, that's going to create all sorts of excitement. And with that excitement comes, I, I think, um, expectations that might be a bit lofty. I, I have no doubt in my mind that, you know, two, three years from now, USC is going to be back and, you know, steamrolling the conference and in the, the college football playoff con- conversation on a yearly basis. But like, let's be honest, you know, every rebuild, regardless of the, the stature of your program, uh, the, the talent that you have, it, it takes a little bit of time. To, to establish yourself and um, and get things rolling again. I, I think the transfer portal will help Riley, uh, you know, maybe maybe get to that point quicker than he might have been able to a couple of years ago. Um, you know, the ability to bring in a Caleb Williams or uh, a former five-star wide receiver, that that's going to accelerate the process. Uh, but, but to do all of that in the span of, what, nine months, I, I, just, I just don't quite see it. Yeah, I think it's asking a lot. And I mean, the only turnaround on that level that I think we've seen recently in college football is Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. But I I think that's more of an outlier and and an exception to the rule rather than being the the rule or or the norm for how that tends to go. And Lincoln Riley is definitely set up for success. He knows how to score points. He's going to have a quarterback who likely gets a a starting job in the NFL at some point. I mean, these are just things that we know are, are going to happen because they have and there's no evidence to the contrary. It, it won't, except for maybe Spencer Rattler, but Caleb Williams has already stepped in and, again, is showing that Rattler's kind of the exception to the rule rather than uh, becoming the norm and such. But I think you make a great, a great point about it, it being quicker, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be instantaneous when it comes to the, the turnaround at USC. You have to have a complete roster, and you don't have to have an elite defense to win the conference, certainly not in the Pac-12, and Lincoln Riley never had one while he was at USC or while he was at Oklahoma rather, but USC's defense is just in a state where it needs so much work and they need so many players and they just haven't brought him in. They're going after him. They're looking at guys like Jaden Wayne, five-star edge player out of uh, the Tacoma area. You know, I, I think that they recognize and Alex Grinch, their defensive coordinator knows they have to bring in those sorts of players that they're going to compete. But I agree with you on the offensive line, especially, I, I mean, the only Good USC offensive line, I think, in the last few years, probably Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, who went, I believe, what was it like 13th to the Jets? Something? So, some, somewhere in there. So, like he, somewhere he was, in that range, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a first round caliber player, but those are the sorts of guys that USC is accustomed to having. You know, you're talking back in the heyday with Pete Carroll, they had them across the board, right? Yeah. They went one through five. It was either high level college football player or, you know, at least a, 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 a mid round NFL draft pick or a high round NFL draft pick. Right. And so I I think that's something that they can't forget. They don't have to have, you know, five first rounders across the board. But Lincoln Riley wants to run the football. And to do that, you got to have some guys in the trenches and it's easy to bring in receivers and quarterbacks and running backs. Or at least it is for Lincoln Riley when you're selling guys on coming to USC to to help win right now. But you you still have to work the offensive line. I don't think they've done that at the level that that they have with with some of their skill positions. Uh, I want to get to the Pac-12 North because there is some. Absolutely fascinating lines <laughs> up there. And, and we're going to talk about the landscape of, of the North Division because I think Washington is being overvalued at the moment. I think Oregon State and Washington State being undervalued based on the seasons they had last year. And, and we'll get to all of that and 
a Pac-12 title game prediction from Carter. But first, I remind you this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Their prices are reliably low for every customer. Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, Locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Let's shift to the Pac-12 North. What do you make of it? Just at the time, I mean, the odds I think right now are a little ridiculous. Washington 11 to 1, ridiculously overvalued. They have got a long, long ways to go. Oregon State at 40 to 1, Wazoo 33 to 1. That's to win the Pac 12 conference, which of course, of course, starts with your division. But what do you make of the landscape right now? I think Oregon's the clear favorite, but I don't think Oregon State and Washington State are really that far behind. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you know, it's been the same story every year. Oregon's going to be there. They're going to be the one to beat. Um, yeah, every, everybody's just kind of playing for second place, according to um, the, you know, everybody who puts out odds and all the sports books out there. Um, for for their purposes, it's always, you know, who's going to finish behind Oregon. Oftentimes, that is the case. There have been years where, you know, Washington surprised people. Stanford obviously had their um, you know, their, their years of dominance in the, the peak David Shaw era. Um, but I, I think for the most part, these, these look right. I mean, Oregon, you know, I can't justify putting anybody above them. I can't really justify putting anybody lower than Cal and Stanford at the bottom. Um, but I, I think it is the middle ones, the, the middle three teams that, that surprised me a bit. Um, seeing Washington, you know, seeing Washington picked. I think that's second. way. I, I think that's way too. I want to push back on something you said there, real quick. I would. I could justify putting Cal or Stanford above Washington. I think the Huskies are in a total rebuild. They they they've got not a lot. They lost two NFL caliber corners. Now they they historically have been able to reload at that position, but you lose two NFL caliber players from your defense. You don't know who your starting quarterback is going to be. You're in this weird in between phase of do you go with an experienced guy like Penix who you brought in and presumably will start, or are you going to let Sam Heward play and grow as the program starts to rebuild? You have a first-year head coach. I, I just don't think they have enough to be a t- – I mean, I, I kind of like Stanford more than them. And at Cal, you never know. They've had a couple good years and some good moments up under Justin Wilcox, but haven't put it all together, save for maybe their eight-win season. So that's the only – area of disagreement there but i i agree cal stanford probably at the bottom i just put washington in that group yeah i think the one thing for me that that maybe you know maybe the reason i see washington as being more of a contender than a stanford or or cal is i I think they've identified their weaknesses they identified what went wrong under under jimmy lake and and they've done their best to rectify that i I think bringing in kalen DeBoer, obviously it wasn't a flashy hire um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't getting the headlines that a Lincoln Riley was, that's for sure. Um, but he fits that system. You know, he, he fits Washington very well. Uh, he led a couple of very good teams at Fresno state, um, built a really, really, uh, successful offense there. And obviously offense was the issue for Washington uh, over the last year or two. Uh, I, I think he's a guy who could go in and, you know, we talk about rebuilds taking time. It's going to take a few years for Washington to get back to, to justifying being picked to finish second in the North for sure. But I think Kalen DeBoer has the ability to turn that offense around and at least make them somewhat competitive um, on, you know, within the conference landscape. I I think they will probably finish closer to a, you know, a fourth in the North than a second. 
Um, but I don't know. I, I just, I, I feel like I've been very high on that higher. Um, so that's probably, you know, why I see them as more of a, a third or fourth place team than, than you might, but no, I mean, there's no reason that they should be, um, picked to finish second and, and no quite way. frankly, you know, head and shoulders above Washington state and Oregon state. When you look at the yeah. odds, I, I mean, that was a surprising thing, not just ahead of those two, but 11 to one for UW versus 33 to one for the Cougs and 40 to one for the Beavs. I, I just, I, I don't know where that comes from. I, I, I really, really don't because I look at Washington state and Oregon state. And I, I think those are the two teams most likely to contend with, with Oregon for the Pac-12 North. And, and depending on how that offense is able to click with, with Bo Nix and Kenny Dillingham, who, by the way, is a first-time offensive play caller. So he's the OC, but he's never been a full-time play caller before. You know, the, the offense is entirely his. I think that provides a couple of question marks there that, that could potentially open the door if things don't start clicking right away for Oregon State and Washington State to, to hang around. But I... I, I know you're a Beavs guy, obviously, senior writer and editor at beaverblitz.com, but I, I trust you to be objective here when I answer this question. If I told you that someone not named Oregon won the Pac-12 North in 2022, do you think it would be the Beavs or the Cougs? Man, I, I'm going to take off my Oregon State alumni hat here. And, uh, <laughs> but, man, I, I just think that Oregon State has that ability this year. Um, the, the last time we talked, you know, I was talking about how I thought that they would be right up there with Oregon as, as a favorite to win the division if JT Daniels had ended up transferring to Oregon State instead of West yeah. Virginia. I, I think the fact that they were that close, um, in my opinion, makes them a pretty good candidate to to pull off an upset here in the North this year. I, I think as you go into year five of Jonathan Smith, which, you know, as a guy who you know started covering this team in his first year, seems absurd to me that we're talking year five already. But um, you know, it, this wait, team, wait, 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 it's been five? Yeah. Because of the COVID year, so we had 18, 19. Oh, yeah, I'd never count that year. 20. Doesn't, that, that year means yeah. literally nothing yeah. to me. Yeah. It's, um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, this this far into a rebuild, I think this is probably the time for, for Oregon State to, to make a leap. And, you know, what better time to do it in a year where we're saying, okay, like, you know, Washington's picked to finish second, but they're not really that good. Cal and Stanford are pretty clearly the bottom dwellers. Like, there's really nobody... Like I, I look at the teams Oregon State's competing against, and it's like it really is just Oregon State and Washington State for for number two right now. Um, you know who's to say that that the Beavs can't finally beat the Cougs after I, I think it's been about a decade now that they haven't beat them. Um, and you know, look at look at last year. Oregon State went into the final month of the season like two or three weeks left, um, mathematically still in the Pac-12 North title race. So I don't think Oregon State's like you know immensely better than it was last year but i think it's good enough I, I, I certainly don't think it's any worse than it was last year um and when you look when you take the entire pac-12 north landscape into account I, I don't really think oregon state needs to be much better if, if they want to compete for the title i would lean the Cougs with a little bit of an asterisk there and here's why you mentioned jt daniels not coming to oregon state and that would have definitely solidified them as like this is the number two team in, in, in the Pac-12 North. I think it's huge that they uh, that they get Oregon this year. Hold on a moment. Sorry, apparently my nose is deciding to run. I wasn't trying to do that right into the mic for, for everybody. So Allergies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's pretend it's that. So um, I, you have Oregon State there. Didn't get the quarterback that 
you know, they were maybe looking for. I, I like Chance Nolan. I think he showed a lot of good things. Obviously, Oregon State won seven games, and that, that's got the Beavs moving in, in the right direction. There's no doubt about that. I would say Cam Ward coming to Washington State allows them to either replicate or perhaps even improve upon the quarterback play they had from Jane Delora a season ago, who's the 2021 Pac-12, Pac-12 freshman of the year. He transfers down to Arizona because Cam Ward is coming in along with, I believe it's Eric Morris, their their new offensive coordinator, who was his head coach at Incarnate Ward. So if they're able to replicate the sort of success, and I mean, they won't do it exactly because they're at the FCS level before, but if he's able to come in and be a high-level starter or you know one of the four best quarterbacks in the Pac-12, I think that gives Washington State a little bit of a leg up because they wouldn't have a drop-off from a season ago, and they could, in fact, go up. I mean, 24-7 sports, very, very high on, on Cam Ward as a transfer. They rated him ahead of Spencer Rattler and Keaton Slovis in terms of quarterbacks in the portal, and he is going up to, up to Wazoo. And so if he clicks the way he's capable of and he makes the FCS to FBS leap like a Vernon Adams did for Oregon many years ago – then I think that would be advantage Washington State. But if he struggles a little bit, then I'll give it to the Bees because I know what I'm going to get from Chance Nolan there. I, I think the floor is potentially lower with Cam Ward just because he, he's making a leap in you know game speed and the size of the guys around him and, and everything, right? There's always a jump and an adjustment there. And FCS quarterbacks have done it many times successfully before, but there have also been instances where it, it doesn't go very well, like any other transfer essentially. But I think his ceiling is higher than Nolan's, but I think his floor is also lower. So that would kind of be my my caveat, my caveat, caveat, whatever in the world it is. Um, I I don't speak English very well, so that that would that's be the only reason that I would have the Cougs there, and I think they're right to be just like a a little bit ahead of of Oregon State. But one thing the Beavs have, and and the Cougs do have this too, they both get Oregon at home. And that should be a bigger advantage for Washington State this year than Oregon State, since Reeser will only be like what thirty-ish percent capacity. Yeah, it'll be it'll be right around half. I, I think capacity is going to be somewhere in the realm of about twenty-five thousand this year, which yeah. means you're going to see a lot of sellouts. And and obviously, right. <laughs> you know that that rivalry game is going to sell out a, a full capacity Reeser. Yes. But um, you know, I I, I I I agree with you. Home field advantage is you know. It favors Washington State this year. Yeah, it, it does. So it'll be taken away a little bit for the Beavs, who were perfect at Research Stadium in, in 2021, which is quite a way to, to send off the old field that had been there for a while. There is still something to not having to travel, to playing in front of at least 50% of home fans. That's better than 100% road fans. Like That sort of stuff makes a difference. And so I, I think that that is something that's working in, in both Oregon State and Washington State's favor is that they get Oregon at home because we're talking about these odds as they pertain to the Pac-12 championship. But in order to have that opportunity, you've got to be able to win your division first, right? And to do that, someone is going to have to knock off Oregon, which hasn't been done in the last the last couple full seasons of, of college football. Again, I don't even know what happened in 2020, and I don't care to discuss it. And I don't think anybody else does either. So uh, last thing here for you, uh, this is Carter Baines. We're talking with senior editor and writer of BeaverBlitz.com. Right now, you know, things can still change over the transfer portal. So when I have you back on before the season and I ask you the same question, if it's different, I don't want to see people up in the comments. Carter, you said this back in May. Carter, you did this, yada, yada, yada. 
right now, as the rosters stand, no injuries and all that, that that can definitely happen going up to the season. If I told you Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas in, 20, in December 2022, who do you think plays? I'm going to go with the favorite out of the North, and I'll put Oregon there because I, I think you know this conversation we just had about Oregon State and Washington State being right there for number two. Um, I, th- I think if we're being honest with ourselves, they are battling for second place. You know, even even with the head coaching change, even losing you know guys like Kayvon Thibodeau and all of the other guys who declared too early, didn't get great advice, and and went undrafted at Oregon. Um, you know, they, they lose a lot of guys. I, I just think that still the talent gap exists. I, I don't think anybody in the North has the talent um, and, and potentially we'll see uh, the coaching to compete with Oregon this year. I do think it'll be close. I think Washington State and Oregon State both will take it down to the wire. Um, for all we know, I mean, Oregon and Oregon State will play the final week of the regular season. That could be a, that could be a de facto Pac-12 yep. semifinal game. Yeah, uh, I we'll, mean, it, we'll it's see. yeah, it, it, it's happened before in the game between those, those two schools. They've tended to go the way of the Ducks, but that's also been when the games are played at, at Autzen rather than down at, at Reeser, at least at, usually. But I, I agree with you about Oregon, the talent they've got there. The biggest thing for them is the offensive line. They're bringing back everybody except for George Moore on an offensive line that basically carried them to to all their wins a season ago because Cristobal wanted to run the ball, run the ball, and then when he was done running the ball, he wanted to run it just a little bit more. And that offensive line was just elite, J- just absolutely elite in this conference. And they were, you know, able to convert third and fourth and shorts at an incredible rate. Oregon's one of the best third down teams in the country season ago. I think part of that is Joe Moorhead is really smart. And so that'll be an adjustment for the Ducks with Kenny Dillingham as the OC. Like, is there a significant drop off there? I was like Moorhead. I thought he was really, really clever and wanted to be more explosive. But I think that Anthony Brown just wasn't the quarterback to, to be able to do that consistently. But the other reason they were good on third down is you gave Oregon a third and three. They're going to run the ball with Travis Dyer, Byron Cardwell between the tackles or CJ Verdell before he got hurt. And they were they were going to pick it up. So. Oregon out of the north. Did you did you say did you say who came out of the south and I missed it or did we not get there yet? No, we we, we didn't get there yet. I'll add right, one more thing on. I, I want to add one thing on Oregon first, though. It's what I think should scare the conference a little bit is Mario Cristobal got the ball rolling on the recruiting side. You bring in a guy who can actually coach X's and O's. I mean, no offense to to Cristobal, but like you know, let's be honest, he wasn't a great in-game coach. Um, if, if Dan Lanning turns out to be an incredible X's and O's coach, which I think he could be, um, that's, that's the combination that gets Oregon to the next level, having the talent in addition to somebody who can make the most of it. Um, but out of the South, I'm, I'm going to go Utah. You know, we, we talked about them a, a bunch to open the show. Um, <laughs> there's no reason in, in my mind that, uh, that they shouldn't be the favorite in the South. There's no reason they shouldn't be a favorite to win the conference as a whole. Um, it's, it's still a complete team. It has the best coach in the conference and it's probably just a competition between them and USC. I I think UCLA could make a push as well, but again, they've got to prove it. You know, the expectations have been there under Chip Kelly, but they still haven't really broken, broken through. Um, so I think, you know, I've, I got to go with, with a team that's showed me year after year that they can get it done and, and I'll go with Utah there. So an Oregon Utah rematch, um, that's, that's a matchup that I think Oregon fans, I, I don't know, you, you can speak for them better than I can with, with your experience there, but, um, 
I, I would imagine Duck fans would be would be thrilled to see that to get a little revenge. I, I imagine that I haven't posed the question or or engaged with Duck fans extensively about it. My theory, based on my experiences with them and knowing them how I do, they would uh, jump at the opportunity hesitantly to see a different X's and O's coach go at Kyle Whittingham, who is certainly the the longest tenure and most proven consistent coach in this conference as of now. Lincoln Riley might become the best coach in a couple of years, but I think to do that, you have to have the, the best roster that is in front of you. And he, he does not right now. I, I think that's pretty clearly Oregon or, or Utah. Um, so, so right now, I'm with you. I, I don't think we can predict a winner. There's just so many things that have to factor in that we don't know. How are they playing going into the game? Who's hurt? Uh, it's just there, there's there's a bevy of things there. So we'll, we'll leave it there today. Carter Baines, he's a senior editor and writer at beaverblitz.com. You can follow him at Carter Baines on Twitter. For those of you listening, that's C-A-R-T-E-R-B-A-H-N-S. I'll drop that in the episode description. Carter, great to have you back. You will be a recurring guest here on the show always enjoy your content man thanks for having me can't wait for people to uh to start trashing my uh my predictions here but uh, that's <laughs> that's how things work this far into the off season that is that is exactly how it works indeed and that's what we're here for i appreciate all of you listening or watching i will see you next time and have a wonderful